Thank you all so much for worshiping, forgiving to our church, and hope you have a Bible. And if you do, we'll be in Matthew chapter 5 this morning, some familiar territory for us as a church, but it should be for every church, because uh, this is really the starting point uh, and the ground zero, if you will, of the local church, of the movement that Jesus began so many years ago. And I felt like that was a good place for us to talk today as we uh, kind of have on our minds um, our connection to and uh, are going to be having a conversation this evening. Uh, and hearing a lot of different uh, talking points about our connection to uh, so many other churches, I felt like this was a good place for us to kind of talk from today. Uh, so again, as we've mentioned tonight, uh, we get the honor of hosting this local association, uh, which is uh, for a joint worship service. Um, each of us, and, and if you didn't know, and, and we're not owned by uh, the association, we don't, um, we don't, we, we, we offer money, we give money to them, but they don't uh, require a certain amount of money. They don't own the property. So it really is kind of a voluntary um, participation. Uh, every church, the 75 plus uh, churches are independently led and operated and financed, but we contribute to a collective mission, which makes a tremendous amount of sense uh, because we are on a a collective mission. And and this isn't just a Baptist thing or an evangelical thing. Uh, We are alongside churches of other denominations and other traditions uh, that have their own similar setups. We work together on a team, a a part of a family of churches um, for, uh, for the same goal, for the same Mission Now, it just makes too much sense for us churches that are like-minded, similarly structured in theology and, and church uh, doctrine to not work together. It's just too much sense for that not to be something we do. Uh, to belong to something greater together because uh, that's a small earthly reminder of something much greater that we belong to in the kingdom of God. Uh, now, this model, it's very biblical. I would say it's the most biblical model uh, that we can follow. The New Testament speaks of churches being planted in different communities and towns, yet all of them voluntarily, excuse me, all of them voluntarily and willingly worked together uh, and contributed to each other's uh, work, supported the greater work being done, uh, whether it was planning new churches, uh, out, meeting outstanding needs, and supporting ongoing projects. Uh, the, the part that I get most excited about, though, it's not the Baptist part. It's not the similarly theolo- theological beliefs part. Um, uh, it, it isn't why uh, we're better than, there, than other churches that aren't doing it this way or that aren't with us. Um, what I get excited about is that when we come together, different ideas, different approaches to doing church, different interpretations, different opinions, uh, without an obligation to do so at all uh, or to give anything particularly, uh, we choose to do it. And by doing so, we point to and we look to the kingdom of God that is being built through us all and around us all and within us all. That's what I get excited about. Uh, While many of you, maybe most of you, most that attend any of these churches we're connected with, uh, we may never give any thought to the greater connection or the greater association. I, I think about it a lot, uh, mainly because I know that with such a combined effort, the results should be multiplied, as in the impact we make on the kingdom of God, the people that we reach, that as we work together alongside other churches, it just, it just, it's just math, right? Uh, we combine our efforts and the results are multiplied. But ultimately, and the reason why I think about it even more is because it, it dawns on me and, and the responsibility falls on my shoulders as a pastor and our shoulders as church members of, of Risen. Ultimately, what we're capable of and what we're accountable for rests in our individual response as a church. Now, if that sounds like there's an urgency, it's because there is an urgency. If that sounds like an imperative, it's because there is an imperative 
on every single church to fulfill this calling. We know, and we've talked about this, there is an inescapable calling over all of us to impact our worlds for Jesus. Every single one of you as a Christian belonging to a church, there is an inescapable calling over you, over all of us, to impact our world for Jesus. And and you may come here for different reasons, but ultimately what brings you to the church and what God brings you to the church for is that you might have a vessel that helps you and facilitates you in impacting your world. When Jesus first gathered uh, any group of followers, when he first gathered uh, his original disciples, Matthew, uh, James, and John, uh, uh, and Andrew, and, and, and a few others, when he was initially building his church, he cast a vision to that original group, over that original group, uh, that would serve as their mission statement. And the vision that he had for the church and the mission he assigned to the church hinged on two factors, intentionality and irresistibility. That Jesus' vision that he cast and the mission that he sent us on hinged on, depended on two factors that are non-negotiable when it comes to we must understand this and we must internalize this and we must figure out how we can fulfill this same mission. It requires intentionality and it requires a certain amount of irresistibility. Now, as we read Jesus' vision that he cast over his original followers, and as we hear the mission statement for the original church, uh, for you and I as people, it includes us, but especially for you and I as members of this team, of the body, of his body, I want you to think about these two factors. How the ways Jesus describes the church and the roles he assigns the church, think about these factors as being essential in our maximizing our roles and taking them to their full realization. That if we're going to be what Jesus said we should be, if we're going to be able to accomplish what Jesus said we should accomplish in the ways that he describes us in this passage we're going to read, it's going to require a certain amount of intention and a certain level of irresistibility. Now, with that in mind, listen to Jesus as he casts this vision, as he gives this mission statement. Matthew 5, verse 13 through 16. You all know these verses. Hopefully you've memorized them. If you haven't, it's a good time to start. Jesus says, you are... Y'all are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? Or how shall the earth be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men, as in just dump it out and what, 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 what good is it for anymore? You are the light of the world. Y'all are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Now, in that verse, he gives us two different points. He says, you're the light of the world. And in the ancient world, cities were built on hills and they were, there were lamps and candles all around the city walls. But those cities that were lit up were not just there to be a light in the darkness, but they were meant to be a place of refuge, a place that welcomed people into their gates. If the lights were on, it meant you were welcome and that there was a place there for you to be healed and restored and to get back on your feet. You are the light of the world. You are the refuge of the world. He says, nor do they light a candle. And put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works 
Not your good beliefs. Not your good you know, opinions. Not the things that you post and the things that you say. But the things that you do. And glorify your Father in heaven. That when they see what you're doing, there'll be a connection. Those people remind me of someone I've heard about before. They remind me of. They look like God himself. Now, we've talked about this. You've heard many, many sermons about this. I've preached on it. Others have preached on it, I'm sure, much better. But I want to emphasize something today that has jumped off these pages more to me recently than ever. All of these things, the salt that is meant to preserve, the light meant to bring, uh, to go get rid of the darkness, the refuge for the weary, all these things at their core, in their essence, are intentional in their function, as in, if you put salt on something, now don't think about salting your lunch. Uh, you'll do that in a little bit. This is, in the ancient world, there were no refrigerators. So the way you preserved meat was by packing it with salt because salt was a preservative. Salt was what kept things from rotting and decaying. Maybe you've heard people say, well, the world has just gone to such a bad and dark place. Well, that's why there's salt being packed on the rotting, decaying planet. And you are the salt. So what is salt for? It, it, its function, if you put salt on something in the ancient world, it's meant to preserve it. So you don't use salt unless it's going to have this effect. And if you put salt on the meat, it's going to have this effect. It's not an option for the salt. It's what the salt does. Salt is intentional in its function and it's irresistible in its impact. 99 times out of 100, you put the salt on the meat, it's going to stay good. Same, same thing. If you turn a light on, guess what happens to the darkness? It goes away, right? That whether, you, whether the light wanted to or not or meant to or not, it was made, right? You flip the switch, light turns on, there's no more darkness. You turn the light on intentionally and irresistibly, it gets the job done. Same thing for refuge. If there's a sign that says refuge here, what does that mean? It means intentional rest, intentional healing, intentional restoration. And if refuge is being provided and refuge is being perceived, that impact is irresistible, right? Salt covers the raw food with the intention of preserving it and irresistibly affects the meat. Light shines in the darkness with the intention of making things brighter. And with an irresistible, illuminating power, refuge welcomes the weary intentionally by saying, come and see, come and feel, come and receive what you've been needing. And when a wearied person feels the refuge, enters the refuge, an irresistible effect comes on their souls and on their bodies. The point is that salt knows what it's doing. Light knows what it's doing. Refuge knows what it's doing. They do what they are made to do. Do you follow me? And when they are fully applied, there's no question results will come because they do what they're made to do. Light always brightens. Salt always preserves. Refuge always restores because that's what they are made to do. There's not an option for them to do something else. Otherwise, they wouldn't be light, salt, and refuge. If You get that? So do you see how this is both a vision and a mission statement for the church from Jesus? He says, I want you to be, I'm making you to be light, salt, and refuge. But he also says, 
I'm calling you to be light, salt, and refuge. And if we're serious about fulfilling these roles, realizing these opportunities, intentionality is a must and irresistibility is a must because the difference in us and these elements or these ideas in and of themselves is that while salt, light, and refuge as concepts naturally and always do what they are made to do, you and I are not naturally salt. We're not naturally light. We're not naturally refuge, right? We are naturally people. Does that make sense? These things in and of themselves, they do their job, but you and I are people. We are people who are prone to not do these things, right? If anything, we bring darkness, we bring decay, we bring breakdown that, 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 that wearies our souls, right? So we are not these things by nature. So as Jesus is saying to us, you are salt, you are light, you are refuge, here's what we got to internalize here. We have to choose to be, strive to be, and prepare to be salt, light, and refuge. So we must practice and develop habits of intentionality and irresistibility. I love you, and some of y'all might be close, but listen, by nature, we are not irresistible when it comes to doing the, you know, in other ways maybe, right? But not when it comes to being salt, light, and refuge. When it comes to impacting people for Jesus, that's our, not, not our nature, right? We just, even if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might, and strength, by nature, we're not, you know, wired to do this. And come on, you know, we intentionally do certain things, but we don't always intentionally do these things. So we got to practice and develop habits of intentionality and irresistibility. Now, we can't just flip a switch, pour out a shaker, open a physical door and say, come on in. We have to internalize these and realize these spiritual qualities and application of being salt, light, and refuge. I hope that makes sense. I think it does. We have to learn the habits of and develop a lifestyle of the equivalent of flipping that switch, turning over that shaker, and opening that door to prepared places. So I say all that to say this. We have to be intentional and become irresistible. If we are going to fulfill our callings as Christians and impact our world as a church, we have to be intentional and become irresistible. So I'm guessing there are two different questions that most of us have, or most people would respond to this statement, or two different responses that are basically questioned. Do we really have to be? I mean, of course you're a preacher and your whole sermon falls apart if you don't have to, because why are you doing this? I hear you. Do we really have to be intentional and become irresistible? Is this not just an option? And y'all know me well enough. I wouldn't be saying this if there was somehow to break this all down. Do we really have to be, though? And if we have to be, how do we do this? So we'll get to the how later. Let's address the have to part. Do we really have to be intentional and become irresistible, as in we've got to fulfill this calling? Do we really have to worry about fulfilling a calling, impacting our world? Do we have to be intentional and become irresistible? And, and listen, I get it. Church means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And, and things that are not wrong or unbiblical, but they just are, people have all different, you all have different motives or different reasons for showing up. And I'm glad you showed up. And I hope we can meet all those needs and fulfill all those reasons. Some people, church is a religious obligation. You're here because mama or, or somebody might get mad if you aren't here, right? And, and hey, I'm glad they got you here. 
maybe to some of you, church is about keeping God happy because you're, you're thinking or you've been taught that if you don't show up or, or if you don't show up enough that God's going to get upset at you and bad things might happen. So you show up every once in a while to make sure that God says, oh, I see them going to hold off the rain cloud next week that, that's a lot of us the way we're wired to believe it, that's not biblical right so I hope you don't think that I've got to show up to make God happy right but a lot of people do a lot of people think I'm here because I need to make sure that God looks down on me and smiles and I'll be back in a couple of weeks or next week or whatever some people just show up because they think that that's going to keep God from interfering or or being angry with them now some people church is like therapy and, and they show up, and, 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 or you show up, and, and you want to feel better about yourself. And hey, I feel bad a lot of times. I'm glad there's somewhere that makes me feel better. And maybe to you, church is really all about that. People say, hey, I come to church because I want to feel better. And if I don't feel better, I'm probably not going to come back. And, and I hear you. I hear you. You know, 50% of the time, I think you'll feel better after I preach. Sometimes you're probably not going to feel better. So sorry in advance. But we'll get you there, all right? Um, churches like therapy want to be lifted up emotionally. There's a, that's, that's a little less unbiblical than the keeping God happy part, but still, there's more to church than just that. But if that's why you come, hey, that's great. Some people, church is about becoming smarter and becoming better. Uh, and, and there's this self-fulfillment obsession that, you know, you want to know more and you want to be, be able to do more and you want to be able to, to respond with more clarity and, and with better articulation. And, and that's some good ambition. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad you want to learn more. Because hey, if you want to learn more, just sit back. Hey, we'll, we'll talk all day. But there's more to church than that as well. So if you, were, if you were to reduce church attendance and church membership and church participation down to a single point, that's hard, but I think we can do it. If you were to reduce it, even if it may entail all these different personal and communal elements that we've talked about, and you may would say, hey, that's why I come to church. I think the, the best way, the most biblical way to reduce church to a single point is that overall, Church is about discipleship, that we are being discipled. Does that include feeling better and getting smarter? Hey, yeah, part of it. But ultimately, overall that is that church is about you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. You are a follower of Jesus Christ, or you are becoming one, or you just got in, or hey, you're here to be one. You are following Jesus, and you want a structural way to get closer to him. That's what church was made to be, getting you closer to Jesus, keeping you in step with Jesus. But there's another element to it. You are being discipled to make disciples. That's the most I can reduce it now. The New Testament commands us to follow Jesus as disciples, to become more like Jesus, and to make disciples for Jesus. We follow him, others follow us, who in turn follow Jesus. Listen, you've got more followers than you realize. People that listen when you talk, people that pay attention to what you do. Maybe they're just nosy, but they follow you, right? I mean, hey, maybe they just they come around because they just want to see what, you know, what's going on now. But listen, you've got more followers than you realize, and some of you are very influential, and you know it. Every one of us, we all are acquiring and accruing followers every single day. And the New Testament says, you follow Jesus, and as you follow him, they'll follow you. And then they follow Jesus, and on and on and on it goes. Going to church and being a part of a church may include finding peace and feeling better and getting smarter and growing spiritually. But all that is at least part of discipleship. And really all that matters is how much closer we are in our walk with Jesus and how that influences our relationships. And how much Jesus is rubbing off on those around us. Listen, you disciple your family. You disciple your coworkers. You disciple those in your community. And again, maybe not intentional. Maybe you should be intentional. Maybe that's the whole point. 
And here's kind of how I arrived at this point. Biblical, yeah, but I think there's another thing. There's a kind of a, 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 an aside the point that you can kind of break all this down or come up, get to this place from. If church is a means to an end, as in, hey, I'm here for a reason. I'm not just here because I'm bored. I'm not just here because I don't have anything else to do on Sunday morning. I'm here because I'm trying to keep God happy. I'm trying to become a better person. I'm trying to find a peace. If church is a means to an end, and of course it is, the end can't be me. I mean, can it? I mean, when you say it that way, it's obvious, right? I mean, it's not about us. We don't sing about us. Who do we sing about, right? This song's not about me and you. Hey, it benefits us, it blesses us, and we're better because of it, but it ain't about us, right? If church is a means to an end, it can't be, well, I want to, or I need to, or I better. It's, it's not about us. And hey, listen, the one who it's all about loves you so much, but ultimately we can't say, well, it's about me, because it's not. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church, right? Belongs to him. It's for him. Paul says that he built the church to present to God a glorious treasure, a bride for himself. So if church is a means to an end, the end, the goal, the glory is all to Jesus. Right? So church may be for us, and yeah, it makes life better and makes us better at life, but all that takes place so that he may be glorified. And the way he receives maximum glory is as we follow him, we convince more to follow him with us. Paul makes this statement that if you look, to it, if you look at it out of context, it might seem a little bit weird, but I, I want to show it to you out of context because I think it just kind of has a really powerful weight to it. Paul makes this statement in 2 Corinthians, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others or we proclaim the gospel to win other people to Jesus. And, and what does that mean? Knowing the fear of God. And, and the literal Greek there is knowing the terror and, and Paul's just been going on and on about how Jesus died for the, for the sins of the world, that he gave his life up, and that he's on this ministry because he believes it's worth it, and it cost him, and he goes through sufferings and trials, but he's still doing it because he believes it's worth it for the light that shines into the dark world. You know what he means there? Is God's heart beats for those that are lost. He died for us, for them. He sent Jesus to do this so that we might be saved. What kind of people would we be if we just ignored that reality that Jesus died to save people? Now, we could have gone straight to the commands the New Testament says because there's plenty of New Testament commands that say, hey, this is the point of this whole deal. This is why you are here, to be discipled and make disciples. But I thought explaining it that way would make it even more obvious. Yeah, we have to be intentional, and yeah, we have to become irresistible if we're gonna fulfill our calling to win other people to Jesus and impact the world. This is why Jesus and all his followers say as much to the church. Flip over to the end of Matthew. Y'all have read this and heard this and hopefully you can quote it. But at the end of Matthew, the last words he says to this original group that he said, hey, be salt, be light, be refuge that they may see your good works and glorify your Father. So dovetailing to that same group, and by the end of it all, it's really back down to that original group because everybody left when he died. And a few people started trickling back in when he rose again. So at the end of Matthew, in verse 18 through 20 of 28, he's back at the same place with the same group of people. And he says to them, y'all know this? 
All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He says, hey, y'all, don't know, about, don't know if y'all recognize this or not. I'm kind of a big deal. I just died and came back to life. Who's ever done that before? And here's what I've done all this for. I've built my church and I'm sending you to make a difference in the world as it, as the church. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, or behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. As in, hey, when I start this until I finish it, you are on mission. You have this calling over you. Go and make disciples. So, so if we are going to win people to Jesus... We are going to have to be intentional and irresistible. And Jesus said, if you're going to be intentional and irresistible, you've got to be like salt. That when salt gets poured on something, it, auto, it automatically, always, it preserves. When the light turns on, it makes things brighter. When refuge is applied, it makes things better. It restores, it heals. Doesn't that influence how we should do our work? Of course it does. It, 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 it shows us what we should do, what we should say, how we should be. Because salt always preserves, light always brightens, refuge always restores. Jesus said there's no other way, and the closest followers echoed him. The Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I know I'm not going to win everybody to Jesus. Of course, not. I can't win everybody, but hey, I can save somebody. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. So no, we won't save all. We cannot save anyone, but we can be salt and light and refuge, and Jesus can make the difference. Of course, not all will be saved. Of course, not all will be reached. But if we are working together alongside other churches, we don't need to worry about all. We just need to worry about the some that are within our reach. Do you hear me? To save some within our sphere of influence that can be reached with applied salt, light, and refuge. Speaking of which... One of the perks of being connected with a greater body like the South Fork is that we have access to tons of data from censuses and surveys and information gathered through the local government. Uh, the information is certainly backed up and gathered by other denominations and synods, but I can only speak to what was provided to me. So I want to share that with you. About seven years ago, the first annual meeting that I attended, right in the, in the preparing stages of what we're doing here at Risen, um, some information was shared that charted the course for what we would begin here at Risen and how we would maintain our mission year in and year out. Uh, the North Carolina Baptist Convention released a map with all of, of some 200 different uh, locations uh, designated and, and, and assigned as lost pockets. That's what they refer to, as, to them as, lost pockets. And these lost pockets are seven-mile-wide circles in which 70% plus, that's a lot, isn't it? 70% plus of the residents claim no relationship with Christ, no affiliation with the church. This was done through census data, and it was, it was reevaluated after 2020 with the most recent census and, and other information gathering uh, tactics. So as of 2022, there were 250 identified lost pockets, so that's seven-mile seven wild circles all around the state, 70% plus within each circle, that no church affiliation, no relationship with Jesus. And here's a picture. Now, I know it's zoomed as far out for y'all, but y'all can see the pink and the purple and the green and all the yellow. Y'all can see all those little pings that you see on your Google Maps, right? That's a lot of different little 
seven mile wide circles. You almost don't have anything left after you put all those circles on the map. So if we zoom in a little bit, and again, I know this is far off for y'all, but this is a map of Lincoln, of northern Gaston County, all of Lincoln County, and then parts of Catawba County. And there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten pockets, seven mile circles in what we would refer to as our local associational area. There's two in Vail, two in Denver, two in Maiden, two in the Dallas-Stanley area, and there's area, and there's one in Lincolnton. And a closer look at that circle, the ping is right on Country Club Road. And if you look just to the right of the pocket, you'll see a little emoji that is a church, and that's us. I know this really zoomed out for y'all, but y'all can see the little church there, right? That's us. Now, the hard numbers are out of 7,300 households within this circle, there are 4,900 that are unreached, unchurched, unbelieving. That's just households. So there's a lot more people than that. 4,900. Half of those households are white. A quarter of those are black or African-American. And about another quarter are Spanish or Latino. Many of them, most of them, are generation or a generation away from having been involved in church. So their parents fell out or they fell out. And now they and their kids are on the outside looking in. So you ask me, or maybe you ask me, do we have to be intentional and become irresistible? Do we have to be? Now listen, from a completely uh, sterile corporate standpoint, if all we're trying to do are keep the lights on and keep the buildings going, there's going to be a lot of empty churches in the next 20 years, aren't there? Right? I mean, if we're, just, if we're just talking about, you know, buildings with lights on and people in them without the kingdom of God considering, right? And I mean, hey, maybe you care more about that than you do the kingdom. And, and if that's the case, we'll get you on the other side. But there's going to be a lot of empty evangelical, Pentecostal, Baptist, Lutheran, Methodist, Presbyterians. And come on, there's been a lot of empty churches already and a lot of places have seen the lights turned off. And again, that's not the message. But if we're just looking at it from a sterile corporate point of view, that's a reality within the next few decades. It just is. So why do we have to be intentional and become irresistible? Let me just encourage you. The church isn't going anywhere. Jesus said hell can't stop it, so a little bit of a problem in America is not going to stop it. So don't worry. But the reason why we have to be is there are so many that do not know him. And I and you, we are going to be accountable for those in our sphere of reach. I know all of you don't live in that circle. I don't live in that circle, but I preach in that circle, right? And before somebody says it, well, you know, hey, aren't these difficult days? Maybe it's the last days. I mean, can we just not? But what did Jesus say in verse 20? I am with you to the end of the age, not until the last seven years of the age or the last decade of the age or the last hundred years of the age, to the very end. So if he's with us, then he's for us and he's working through us. But his original followers, okay, so if you've ever used the, well, it's the last days and hey, things aren't the way like they used to be. If you've ever used that excuse, I know you have, I have, we all have. His original followers tried to use that excuse because it was, they just crucified Jesus. I mean, Rome was, a, was, a mean, was mean stuff. Here's what they say to Jesus after he says this commission in Acts 1. 
So when they came together, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? I mean, have you heard about how bad the world is, Jesus? They just tried to kill you, and they did kill you, but you're back, and hey, that's good, but can we go on to heaven? Because they're going to kill us, and I don't know if we'll come out of that grave like you did. Jesus, these are the last days. These are perilous times. These are woe is me. Can we just go on to heaven? It's bad stuff going on. And listen to how Jesus responds. It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed on his own authority. He says, maybe these are the last days. Maybe they aren't, but I'm not going to tell you. And if anybody tries to tell you these are, don't listen to them because they speak on zero authority. Right? And then he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Hey, y'all, you will receive power. I know this is a lot of pressure and a lot of negative stuff going on, but you've received power that outdoes all that. And you will be, will be. Hey, I didn't sign up for it yet. He says, yeah, you have. You will be witnesses. So, so that, that, back to that circle. This is our Jerusalem, Right? It was to them, and, and, and they were sent, and we are sent. But Jesus made it very clear that this process will not happen apart from intentionality and irresistibility. So we know the how part, or the have-to part, but what about the how-to part? How can we be intentional and become irresistible? Well, it's going to take more than just putting on good services every week. And as a preacher, that hurts my feelings, because I think I do a pretty decent job. But that's not what's going to make the difference. As important as it is for us to hear, you know what? You know, we don't read a single description in the New Testament. There's not a single description of a live church service in the New Testament. We don't know how good they were, how bad they were, how good they are, how full they were. We never read about a live church service, as in nobody's ever writing about, hey, I'm in church, and wow, they're singing really good, or wow, the preacher's really hot, or wow, all this. They never do all that stuff, right? Or the fire of God's falling. They never talk about that stuff. We never read a live church service. We read a brief description in 1 Corinthians, but that's it. Paul says they sang a song and they heard a lesson and, they had heard, and God revealed something. That's all we read about. But you know what we read a lot about in the New Testament? Not how to have good services, but how to be godly servants. You see that? We don't read anything about good services. Should they be great? Of course, but that's not what the New Testament really cares about. You know why so many church leaders and people go back to the Old Testament and talk about the thundering, booming, fire of God encounters in the Old Testament with Israel? Is because they try to say that's what the church needs. Oh, we need those, you know, th th those experiences, and, and that's what's going to reach people, but that's not what the New Testament teaches. That's not what the Bible says the church should focus on. Of course, services should be great. And of course, God should be experienced through the word and through the spirit. But that's not what the New Testament even focuses on. And you've read it, you know. Jesus envisioned that the church would reach people by the people in the church, the believers, the members, being rallied together in their services, preparing for their mission. Ephesians 4 says that the church is about equipping the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ. Verse 13. Until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood or, or to mature personhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we might would all fill our potential, fulfill our potential. 
that all of us united together, and verse 16 emphasizes that, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which is equipped, when each part is working properly together, makes the whole body grow so that it builds up itself in love. It makes it sound so easy, doesn't it? Maybe it is. The calling on the church is to unite the saint in ministry, to organize and mobilize us into teams and laborers together. That is how we can be intentional, and that is how we become irresistible. By banding together and teaming up and committing our hands to the work that God has called us to do, that's intention. And by pouring ourselves into this as a unit, leveraging our positions for the good of those that we intend to reach and the good of those that we are reaching, that's how we develop irresistible qualities like salt and light and refuge. So this is why, this is why we are calling on everyone to search their heart. And if you're not a member here and you're just hanging out, hey, you've heard at least, you know, four-fifths of a sermon that applies to you. But if you're a member here or you want to be a member of a church, this is so important for you to hear. We are calling on everyone to search their heart and seek God's calling over the step, the step that he is calling you to make into ministry, participating in God's kingdom through your local church and find out where God has called you to serve. Because make no mistake, everyone is called to serve and there's joy untapped by all of us that are in an area of service because in that service we are working to reach those yet saved and yet unreached. So on your way out, you'll receive another handout that details the different ways we're going to work together to be intentional and to become irresistible in 2023 and beyond. You'll see a breakdown of the different teams that we are building and even if you aren't a member, you don't plan on being around long or don't really involved, you should take one. Because regardless of where you are at, this is what's expected of you as a church member, as a church participant. Listen, we've been doing this for seven years and come March. And there was a year and a half there where COVID made everything crazy. So we'll give ourselves that. But listen, we've been doing this for seven years. Some have been here before that laying the foundation with us at Risen. Seven years in that long in church history, but over these years, we've laid the foundation doctrinally. We've built up a place to fellowship together, which is awesome. We've taken steps to be the best church that we can be within our means. But it's time that we rise up and put our hands on the greater work. We've been building for this the last two years with our discipleship groups on Sunday evening, with the series that we began the year with, the Great Commission at Risen, and now circling back the last couple of weeks. My job as a pastor as detailed in the Bible, not some set of bylaws or somebody's textbook. My job as a pastor is to care for the souls of the people of God and to lead us in restoration and healing so that we can be equipped and step into ministry. That's what I'm gonna answer for. Did I equip you to be in ministry as God called you to be? Did I equip you and did I show you that you were sent locally or around the world? And our job as a church is to help facilitate that in your lives. Not to say, hey, good luck, but to say, hey, here's how you can be involved in a way tangible to you, in a way that you can realize within your attendance and participation. So here's what we're building. And on your way out, you'll receive a breakdown of teams that regard our facilities, caring for our facilities, uh, addressing the next generation of kids, planning events, focusing on local and national and international missions and a team that's all about praying for people and caring for people. These are our rooted in biblical principles and prescriptions and how everyone can serve and improve what we do and who we are and reach others. Ultimately, this is about participating in God's kingdom. If you've already done this in some capacity, this is about making it more streamlined and making it more of an easy thing to realize. 
There's plenty in the Bible about taking care of and improving the facilities that we might be a place of intention, welcoming guests, an irresistible environment for people that come. There's obviously a ton in the Bible about reaching the next generation, engaging children, and ministering to children. There's obviously a lot about the mission field. The backbone of every church is prayer and caring for people. So clearly this is all pulled from the Bible and you'll receive more information about how it is biblical. Here's what my prayer is. That if a handful of people passionate about one particular area feeling equipped to do one particular thing, if you rise up and say, hey, that's my calling, or if multiple people, that's my calling, we can build a team around you. All it takes is one Isaiah who says, here I am, send me. All it takes is one. We've heard why we have to be intentional and become irresistible as salt, light, and refuge. We've laid out a plan of how we can be intentional and become irresistible like salt, light, and refuge. Now it's time to pray and listen and tune our hearts to God. And we'll talk more about that at the end of next month. We'll follow up. We'll give you a month to pray about this, to plan for this, to listen to God about this. Once again, here I am, send me. Nehemiah told the people about the hand of God on him, how he had been good to him. Nehemiah trying to lead the people to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. When he told them about God's plan, they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. The words in yellow, let's say them together. Let us rise up and build. Let us rise up and build. Today we proclaim we are going to rise up and build. And every step forward, we will continue to strengthen our hands to be intentional and to become simply irresistible. So that when people are a part of our community in the sanctuary of God, he does a work in their lives as he's done in ours. And listen, you can, you can say, hey, I don't have time for it. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. But this is a kingdom reality that every one of us must confront. And my job as a pastor is laid on the line. And our job as a church is to be intentional, be, be irresistible, Come, become irresistible because you are, Jesus, you are the salt, the light, and the refuge of the world. What an awesome privilege to be given that title. Now let's go and be who he's called us to be. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word that just makes it so clear and easy for us to follow, yet our flesh definitely gives us a challenge or two at times. Lord, we've all been distracted. We've all been busy. We've all got other things going on. But Lord, this is about realizing what we are made to be and who we are made to be. This is about hearing that Jesus said, I am with you to the end of the age. And who knows, maybe this is the end of the age. We don't know. It makes it all the more pressing on us that we fulfill our calling. Lord, I pray that you, in a way that only you can, I can't do it, nobody else can do it, you can burden and lay the, on the hearts of your people a calling, a specific calling in which they can apply their hands to your work, in which they can lead, in which they can be salt, light, and refuge. We as a church, we want to make this easy for people. We want to make this possible for people. We want to make people say, yeah, I get to do this. And by doing that, I am being the church that Jesus called me to be. I'm being salt. I'm being light. I'm being refuge. And as I do my job and someone else does their job and three or four others do their job, we are working together so that together we accomplish the mission 
The burden does not lie on one person's shoulders. It lies on everyone's shoulders. As a church, we come to you, Lord, asking for guidance. And as a church, we listen to you as we wait on your response. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.